Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. podcast matthew miranda joined as always by stacy Patton. a lot to get to not a lot of time to get to it so i'm gonna get the ad read out of the way right now it's a texas showdown in the postseason and bet online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info just as an aside by texas showdown they do not mean two teams fighting over a woman's lack of bodily autonomy or scapegoating immigrants they mean baseball with up-to-the-minute stats news scores and matchup breakdowns get the latest game odds spreads and totals for the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. They have everything you need to stay up to speed on each LCS. Currently, 2-2 two two between the Rangers and Astros. 2-1 to Phillies over the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks, of course, crossed the line at a hotel that was being struck by the laborers and hired scab laborers, so we are rooting for the Phillies. But you can follow all these teams up to the World Series. Head to the website today. Or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Where the pod starts, Stacey, is a brief au revoir to the New York Liberty, whose season ended after game four of the NBA Finals, of the WNBA Finals, sorry, with a 70-69 to loss to the Las Vegas Aces. Um... It was a great season for the Liberty. It was a tough loss. It was a stunning loss, given how shorthanded the Aces were. Um, equally stunning, <laughs> after the game, um, when Kelsey Plum, who I really like a lot, but when Kelsey Plum was asked about um, the game being you know, tied late, but the Liberty not really coming back the last few minutes to take the lead, Kelsey Plum said this, We quote, we knew that as much as they're a team, they're not a team, if that makes sense. They're really good individual players, but they don't care about each other. And you can tell in those moments they revert back to individual basketball. So should be an exciting offseason. Uh, the Liberty already announced that they're going to core Brianna Stewart, so she will be back next season. John Quill Jones is an unrestricted free agent, but is expected to return. Um, any final thoughts, opinions, feedback, anything about a very successful but very uh, bitterly concluded 2023 season for the New York Liberty. Yeah, just a few quick headers. Um, that game reminded me a little bit of game six for the Knicks against the Heat. Um, just mm. right there, couldn't get over the hump. Um, I, I should mention John Cole Jones thought Kelsey Plum's comments were, quote, classless. Um, I tend to think that that kind of just goes with sports. There's probably a little bit of truth to the fact that there were so many new faces on the Liberty that that cohesion and continuity that the aces have really built, um, you know, a, a real winner over the years is probably missing from their standard. Right. Um, you've heard teams like the bulls, uh, you know, Scotty Pippen was asked would the bulls have been able to beat the rockets uh, in 95 and he was, you know, or 94. Um, and he was saying that, well, you know, with all their new faces, you know, we had the continuity. That was the biggest thing he brought up. So I don't think if you put it that way, I think that there's and they'll they'll learn and grow and they're gonna get more time. I don't think I ever I don't wouldn't call anyone in the liberty selfish. 
Um, but you know, in those moments, sometimes there's uh, the continuity helps that the Aces had. Uh, and I'll throw you back one. Um, so you've been someone I think who has done a good job of of kind of putting some of Randall's struggles in context, defending him against a lot of the backlash he's felt. Uh, Brianna Stewart, especially compared to her previous playoff performances, obviously in this series, but certainly the whole playoffs. It's worth mentioning she still put up 18, 10, and two, but. You know, really struggled to shoot the ball. Um, definitely didn't look like the MVP. Uh, you know, how would you compare kind of her struggles maybe to to Randall's or and you know, you know how how, how are you viewing that? Because the last time she was in the playoffs, she was putting up twenty seven on fifty percent three point shooting and just lights out. Obviously, you didn't see that in this playoffs. Yeah, I mean Stewart's um, resume at this point is pretty much beyond any reproach. Um, she did have a difficult postseason. Um, I would probably not compare her to Randall at all, just based on the fact that she has a much longer um, postseason history and a, and a, and one with immense success, which Randall has not had yet. I would also say in Stewart's defense, um, probably more than Randall, um, if you're going to compare them. I think, and this became very evident to me in the finals, um, and it was, I, th- I think, a, one of the great uh, strengths of the Aces, in, in addition to all the grit and all the, the intangible stuff that we credit to the team. Ace in the hole? One might say that. Um, the Aces were missing. So the Aces designed this season that their five, their their best five, their death lineup was going to be Asia Wilson, Candace Parker, Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, and Kelsey Plum. Those are five players, every single one of them. I mean, literally, they're basically all MVP caliber players. Every single one of those players can create for themselves at any point. They can create a shot for themselves or for someone else by posting, taking you off the dribble, whatever. Every one of them can do it. Even with Parker out, even with Chelsea Gray out the last game, in addition to Kia Stokes with foot injuries, that still meant that in crunch time, the Aces had three players on the floor that you need a basket, they have the ball in their hand, there's five seconds left on the shot clock, they can do it. The Liberty don't have that. And where it became really conspicuous as the playoffs went on, and I think it had an impact on Stewart, and I know it had one on UNESCO, is at point guard. The Liberty don't have a player who can just go break down the defense. Stewart can create one-on-one for herself anytime. Yonescu, <clears throat> if you give her a screen or a pick, she's very good at it also. But John Quill Jones is is going to go one-on-one down low. Um, but Nigel Laney fits in with a lot of things, but she's not a classic, like, okay, give her the ball and get out of the way. And Courtney Vandersloot is not a guard who just breaks people down. And I think you saw, I, I, I mean, everyone knew before the last possession, and this isn't a critique, like it's, it's, it's difficult. There's eight seconds she's, left. But everything's she's, on more, the um, she's more Stockton than like Iverson. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and she's a Hall of Famer. She's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and she still had a good season. She had a great game four. But when you have, when, mo- when you're in crunch time and three-fifths of the people you have on the floor unless you're posting up, which they didn't like to, to do with Jones as much as I thought they could have because their philosophy is rooted in sharing the ball. Like we have so much time. Like I get it. But I think the Liberty are missing that kind of point of attack. Natasha Cloud is a free agent this summer. Skylar Diggins-Smith is probably too pricey. Um, but I think, so to get back to your original question, I I thought one reason Stewart struggled is you just missed some tough shots. But also, I think there wasn't really someone else that you could go weak side of the floor and know, okay, they're going to create their own mayhem, and that's going to make things easier for Stewart. Do you think that applies to Randall? Because Brunson, for all his 
Brunson is more of a one on, he's probably more of a facilitator and he can break down a defense, but he's not, um, facilitating isn't his, his, um, you know, his main punch, right? It's more of a counter to the scoring. I view 2021 and 2023 as slightly different Randall performances. I view 2021 as a struggle because it was a player in a role that is, that is on a, on a, in a playoff sense too much for him. And it was the first time that he confronted it. And that's, that's difficult for a lot of people. I felt last year was a challenge specifically because I think he was impacted by injury. And he also had the unique circumstance of spending his entire playoffs matched up against elite, larger defenders at the same larger longer defenders while he was injury compromised so i don't i don't know how much to make of like what brunson could or could not have done for him like i i think to me i view the randall stuff very separately um maybe in part because brianna stewart is uh, mvp yeah right up there um but a great great season wonderful season for the liberty will be interesting to see what kinds of moves they're able to make I am very sad to expect that Maureen Johannes may not be. There's already some talk about her and, and whether because this idiocy with the, the calendar between the WNBA and national teams and obligations. I don't know if she'll be back next year. And even if she is back in the WNBA, the, the Liberty, there's already talk the Liberty are looking probably to add some defense to the bench. Johannes's strengths are, are all on the offensive end and they're wonderful to behold, but it's a team that doesn't really need a lot of offensive firepower off the bench. Um, you need to be able to bring in someone you match up with Vegas. Johannes didn't play a ton, especially after the early going against the Aces. And one reason why she, can't, size. Yeah. Yeah, she, she can't stop them. So you're going to need a little more of that, I think, because you're probably going to see this team again at least once more um, in the finals. So, and there's, I mean, it's going to apply against teams like the Sun and um, absolutely the Mystics at full strength, too, right? So, even the Mystics, even yeah, you saw the Mystics rounding into form. With that backcourt, with Cloud, assuming that she's back, with Brittany Sykes, with Ariel Atkins, like um, even their rookie, um, I can't remember her name, but she's a, oh God, no, no, sorry, I think of someone else. They have three great guards also. So yeah, the Liberty are going to have to, I think, get a little more defense. And also I think someone who can just sometimes, sometimes you just need to be able to break down a defense. And even if it's not dribble penetration, Chelsea Gray is not, She's very Chris Paulish in the sense that, like, she's not just going to whiz by you on a crossover, but she can back you down. She can back you down. Wonderful in the post. She's got a fadeaway. That's another way of just anything that can force a defense to have to, you know, rotate. Yeah. And Vandersloot doesn't really do that. Um, but we'll see. But Vandersloot's under contract, um, as is Laney and as is UNESCO. So now the Stewart is core. Do you think more grow? I mean, UNESCO's still very young. Do you think she can maybe grow into that? I think the biggest problem the league is going to face next year is that Stewart, UNESCO, and Jones have now had a full year together. And I think I, I think Plum, anybody watching knows, I, I assume the Liberty's objection was to the idea, the, the line from Plum that they don't care about each other. And I assume Plum didn't mean it in that sense. Um, but I think Plum is absolutely, you saw in this series, um, you see when the Knicks play a team like Miami, you just see, when you see a team that has had continuity, there's just things that Golden State, probably the primary example, um, they have a, a they have a look and a quality to them that you just can't. If you play pickup, and you play against five people who know each other, it's just different than when it's five strangers. So I think with now the ability to have seen, you know, okay, when Jones rounds into form, how we can use her around these others, the the two person game between Stewart and UNESCO, like I think is going to be a problem uh, for a lot of people next year. I think 
I, I think it's remarkable that the Liberty accomplished everything they did this year, given the nature of all the change, and given that Jones wasn't really even herself for about half the season, recovering still from a foot injury last year. Yeah, I do hope Kelsey Plum has a future in academia so that she can be Professor Plum, but that's a separate story. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that. My niece, my my kid and my nieces have been playing Clue a lot recently, so that probably hit me harder than it normally would. Um, so moving on to the second best team in New York City, the New York Knicks enter the 2023-24 season in about five days uh, when they'll host the Boston Celtics. A lot to talk about. Um, my first question is really specific to this roster because I, I think last year the answer would have been very quick for me, and now it's not. Um, and I asked Stacey this um, to think about for the episode, which was, who is the most indispensable Nick? Who is the one player that if they go down on opening night and you can tell it's for like months, that sucks. And, and my three thoughts for Mitch, because I thought last season, in a lot of ways, Mitchell Robinson was the most indispensable Nick last year. Um, I dominated Julius Randle and I nominated Jalen Brunson because those seem like the only other two options. Randle would not have been an option for me last year at all, but given the lack of depth right now at the four spot, I thought, okay, like, you know, that, that could be interesting. And then, you know, with Brunson on the one hand, he probably has better backups than the other two, but on the other hand, he is the driving force behind the team in a way that certainly offensively, maybe even Randall is not, um, and is arguably a, a more important player, even than Mitch. So Stacy Patton, not to take it to this dark negative place, but let's reframe it as a positive. Who has established for you going into the season that this is the Nick that you really want to see out there for 80 to 82 games? Yeah, it's got to be Randall. Um, I think you hmm. saw in the, reg- in the preseason, even with Hart out, and Hart might be, Hart is up there too, just yes, because. True. Sure. Um, and part of this, I think Tibbs, the four options should be Randall, Hart, RJ, uh, whoever he prefers out of those two. And then if those are all gone, then you look at, but they, they, we saw a lot of Jericho Sims at the four mm-hmm. didn't look great. Uh, and that, and that's both ends, by the way. Um, I think you would hope that, and last year when he played next to Hartenstein, um, they actually, they had that lineup, the bench lineup with Hartenstein and, and, um, and Sims together actually had a positive net rating. The offense tanked, but they were good on defense. This year you saw a lot of teams putting, Sims in space, right? Uh, asking or asking Sims to be a weak side help rim protector, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is different than playing drop or different than switching or being at the point of attack. That's something that he doesn't seem to be great at. That's without considering the spacing issues. Um, so if you lose Randall or to that point, Hart for an extended period of time, that's that could be disastrous. That that could be a thing that actually, I think the Knicks have managed without. And so this is for the regular season. My answer for the playoffs, I think, would be very similar, but I'm going to caveat it because I think there's a it's it's not as cut and dry for me in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But in the regular season, if there's something like a tank this season, it's the Knicks losing Randall and having to play Jericho Sims and Hart all of the minutes at the four. And even Hart, if Hart is off the bench for 10, 12 minutes a game playing the four, or you know, and uh, him and RJ together, depending on the matchup, matching up with. I'm fine. I'm not worried about too many backup bigs. Like if you want to run your whole offense through Bobby Portis trying to post up RJ, probably won't be great for us. I'm not gonna I think we'll win we'll win enough on the other end. Um but if Hart has to match up, I mean if Hart's starting, 
look at who's the power forward for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, is he guarding, you know, he can match up with a guy like Jalen Brown, but those are, that's where you, you start to look at this season as, okay, we really might miss the playoffs if Randall misses an extended period of time. So Randall's number one for me. Um, just quickly on the other two, Mitch, um, Mitch, I do think is very close to indispensable and I don't want Jericho Sims to have to play too many minutes, but Jericho Sims has established himself as capable at the five. And I think Hartenstein, there's been a lot of times Hartenstein has closed over Mitch. Uh, Mitch is probably Mitch is the best offensive rebounder in the game, in my opinion. Hartenstein is pretty damn elite. Uh, Mitch is an elite rim protector. So is Hartenstein. Hartenstein was worse at boxing out. He was a bad defensive rebounder. He really became a pretty solid one by the end of the year. Again, I think Mitch is better there, but I think you wouldn't see too much drop off. Uh, it's definitely something we could survive, certainly compared to Randall missing time and, and having to play Jericho Sims at the four a lot. Uh, and then with Brunson, um, I do think he's the Knicks' best player. Um, but he does have, you know, quickly showed that he was very capable. You looked at his stats and when he starts, I think he was averaging like 20 points a game, knows how to run the offense, probably is an upgrade on, on Brunson on defense. Not sure. probably is a significant upgrade on Brunson on defense. So they can survive that. Looking at some of the other guys, RJ and Grimes, there's a lot of depth, you know, art hardest capable of stepping in if RJ misses some time. Uh, Grimes, you have Dante, you have quickly who can play that position. Um, you know, so I think that with the regular season, it's very clearly Randall. I don't think there's any other loss that's on its own submarines the next season. I think missing Randall for some significant portion of time could, uh, they would, they would have to make some kind of an acquisition. Uh, I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know where Jeff Green is now, but somebody like that, you just pull into like <laughs> soak up minutes. I don't even know if that's a fix. Uh, I will say in the playoff series, this becomes a more complicated question. Uh, because if you live with Brunson, I don't see where the Knicks offense comes from. Randall has not proven himself in the playoffs. Quickly has not proven himself in the playoffs. Um, are you running the offense through RJ Barrett? I think RJ really feasted being able to to attack smaller defenders and play off Brunson, and he had a great playoffs. I'm not taking anything away from him. I don't think you want him to be running the offense. And I think they only have one guy that, that they can do that. And to your point, we were talking about the Liberty. Brunson's their only guy that can break down a defense and create for others. I think the second part of that, probably people want to see more. But the fact is... Without him, that's a sweep in the Miami series. Without him, we're not beating Cleveland probably either, um, no matter how much Mitch destroys their front line. So um, so that's my answer there. So, yeah, so the, the regular season, it's clearly Randall in the playoffs. I think there's a strong case for Brunson. Jeff Green currently employed by the Houston Rockets, so there is certainly the possibility that a player like that could be available later in the season. Um but if we're talking Other about that, you're severely <laughs> readjusting your expectations, right? So he's been, mo- he's, you know, the Knicks are one of the only teams he hasn't played for. So that could just be, you know, satisfying. I mean, he's a good player. It's just like you're, you're, respect, you're replacing an all NBA player with, you know, a guy who would be on the bench on most, or not on the bench, but a bench player for most teams. So another question I asked Stacey that I wasn't sure was going to pop up in any kind of relevant way, but it almost did the other day. There was a, a mini panic movement on Nick Twitter when it was announced that <clears throat> Mayo quickly was being held out of a game. Um, and suddenly the rumors started flying that clearly the Knicks were about to announce some significant trade of Emmanuel quickly, which of course did not happen. Um, but I had already asked Stacey to think about the question of, um, and I'll admit it, it entirely came from a brief sequence in the preseason game against the Celtics in Boston 
when I saw McBride look like real, I saw I saw Miles McBride look very nice, making a couple of a couple of jumpers, and it just made me think like, oh yeah, like McBride is here, and then it made me think, you know, if if McBride takes a little bit of a leap this year, because in past you know a few years we've seen young players under this uh, new administration, player development wise. The Knicks young players have made have taken some nice steps, quickly developed very nicely. I think Obi Toppin expanded his game under his time here. Quentin Grimes showed some growth. Uh, Sims has. Someone's going to take a leap this year. What if it's Miles McBride? So if Miles McBride established himself as, you know what? He, he shoots enough that he can play and he can be a regular rotation. He can be like your eighth, your eighth guy, your ninth guy. My question was, would it would a would a successful McBride season make it easier for you to trade away quickly in a deal for whatever big player everyone is expecting will come? Or as someone wrote that I found completely implausible, suggesting <coughs> that the Knicks would trade quickly <coughs> for a couple of draft picks um, to help them throw in more draft picks when they make the, the trade offer for Star X. Um, in any event, Stacey Patton, where do you stand on Miles McBride? Are you excited enough by what he has done or could do that you think it could ease the pain of trading away quickly who you have more of a sense of things that he can do? Yeah, for me, that's a very a quick no. Um, I, I will say that as someone who's a big fan of McBride, um, I, I remember on draft night when the Knicks traded away, I wanted him at 19 that draft. I wanted him more than Grimes. Um, it was really McBride and Bones Highland were the guys I wanted. Um, nice. And, um, you know, when we took Grimes, I was like, the guy can shoot. I didn't really expect this level of defense from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked McBride, and I've been a fan of his. I wanted him to get time. Certainly the disaster 2021 season, I wanted him to get more time last year before Nier. Um, And he was in the rotation until Hart came here. Um, and I think he's grown. I still believe he can shoot even though this percentages haven't been there. Um, what I was higher on out of college, and this doesn't change or this doesn't destroy his NBA prospects, I thought the guy would be able to create off the dribble more. Um, he had a really good step-back game. Um, on defense, the athleticism was clear, but the handle and you know just kind of being able to create separation isn't there. So if you're talking about it, like quickly can run the – like quickly plays off ball, he can run the offense. I don't, I don't ever see McBride being close to that level of creator. I think McBride is a lot like a guy like Javon Carter. And again, that's a very valuable player. I hope he has a sure. role here. Um, I think that what he did against Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs, he had Mitchell in hell. That was one of the most, by the end, I was just laughing. I think mm-hmm. there was one where Mitchell really gave him the business, did an up and under, and he forced, who, who forces Donovan Mitchell into that kind of awkward shot unless you're like, right. and this guy would know in its scene was just destroying him. Uh, but in terms of you, what you want from that position, if you're replacing quickly, you want someone who can run your bench offense and play off the ball. McBride is still like we we get like we haven't we need to see him for a season shoot well above average t- to put him on quickly's level, especially since he doesn't really have the pull up game of quickly. That's without considering being able to run an offense, being able to get to the rim, um, do all of those things. So no, I think if they were to trade quickly, they would they would have to bring in a backup point guard. Would McBride's emergence make me more willing to trade Dante DiVincenzo? Sure. I think that's the kind of role McBride can play, where he's a good enough passer to play that connecting role. Obviously, adds value on defense. 
And if he can knock down an open three, I still think, you know, he's not on Divacenzo's level as a shooter. I think he could be a good shooter, but that's more of the role like Javon Carter, like a three and D type of player. I don't see him creating it more than a rudimentary level. And that still to me wouldn't be replaced real quickly. The guy I could see, you know, if they do trade quickly, if they trade quickly mid season or, you know, yeah. right now, um, they would have to make a move for a backup point guard at some point. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they could afford a guy like Tyus Jones, but mm. you know, he's you know they, they would have to find someone to just be able to manage a bench offense, and that would be complicated by the fact. I mean, think we quickly struggled to create with Sims and Hartenstein at the four and five. Imagine McBride, you know, that's going to be a non-starter. Um, yeah. A guy though in the let's say next off season, right? Quickly gets extended this year. That would make him very difficult to trade. Next off season is where I think a lot of people I'm seeing on the timeline. Patient Knicks fans and Patient Knicks fans, a lot of people are saying next summer is is probably going to be Judgment Day or, or when you're going to, as a little dark. So when you're going to actually see them make their, push the chips in, whatever that may be, that's where the big move is going to come. Right. If that happens, they would have another year of data on Rokas Yakubaitis, who has shown more, in my opinion, as a creator. He is a real, in many mm-hmm. ways, he, he can do things that even quickly can't. Uh, he's not the defender quickly. He's not the defender McBride is. But we've seen them both in international play. Like he's well, he's highly regarded as the best international prospect outside of the world, right? Or sorry, mm. outside of the world. See, you have Americans. That's astonishing. I mean, that's like universal. Um, no, he's um, best prospect out of the United States, right. and he's shown that skill set to be able. So I think if quickly gets traded, and I think it would, if it happens, it would happen next off season, uh, which is why I think they should just extend him because I don't think a trade is going to happen during this regular season. So you extend him, the poison pill goes, um, and then you, um, you you trade him next summer. Uh, that's my understanding. But um, you know, if they trade him next summer, then I think they can bring over Yukubaitis. They, they can bring back a backup point guard in the trade, uh, and that'd be fine. But do I see McBride as a as a kind of a fill in? No. If they if they trade quickly this year, they're probably gonna they're gonna look for someone who can facilitate it a little bit better. So as, as, as long as you're getting dark, let me keep getting dark with you. Let's say on opening night of the season, Joel Embiid lands in a way that he completely just destroys his knee. He's out for the whole year. Who is the next superstar player that you think is a reasonable shot and a good fit for the Knicks? Because I still keep hearing people mention Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell, and I still don't get it. And I know Cleveland had success with a small backcourt. Um but for me, it makes absolute. I, I don't see the fit of let's max out Brunson and let's max out Donovan Mitchell. So I'm going to say if you have Mitchell, I'd like to hear why. But if not, um, who would beyond Embiid be the next? Like, because even if Embiid, even if nothing tragic happens to Embiid, he's going to be 30. Let's say this season doesn't work and he wants out and he wants to come to the Knicks. And I'm a fan of Embiid. Like, I would be, you know. I'm fine on, on depending on the deal. I'm okay with you want to try and beat in a lot of ways. I'm okay with that. But every time the man hits the floor, the whole arena gasps for reason. Um, so let's just say he hits the floor a lot. He hits the floor a lot. He hits the floor a lot. So let's say he's not an option for whatever reason. Who's the next? Is there anyone else on your radar as star player could be available, and you think it would be like? maybe like a nice fit alongside Brunson or however you want to configure it. Yeah. I mean, so I think the argument I'll make for Mitchell, even though that's not my top choice either, 
Um, he obviously wants to be here. Um, yeah. After next, after this season, again, I think the trade is going to happen next summer. He'll only have a year left in his deal, so it shouldn't cost too much to get him. Um, you do I have defenders if you're able to get him. Yeah, um, I think him and Brunson would be pretty unguardable in the playoffs. Um, mm. I do think Tom Thibodeau, if he's really such a great defensive coach, can probably find ways to um, to get around that. If you still have Mitch. Um, you still have Grimes, you still have Quickly, those kind of guys. Uh, and again, I do think the the cost for Mitchell is going to be a lot lower next summer. Um, right. That could work um, while still leaving you some flexibility. Um, but that's not the top. So, some, I mean, I think the top target is going to sound crazy, but Milwaukee. Are you going to say Carl Anthony Towns? No. Are you about uh, to say Carl? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll talk about why I'm not a huge fan of that. Well, I think the, the reactions on both sides are pretty. No, but Milwaukee is, has made a trade to appease Giannis. Yeah. That player is 33 years old and doesn't play defense. Um, he's an insane shooter, probably should age well. But I think that situation is still to be monitored. I think people are like, there's no way Dame gets traded now. Let's see. Um, Giannis, you know, if they, if they flame out this year in the playoffs, which I do think they're the favorites, I think they have some chinks in the armor. Um, so... I think Giannis is still the top choice there. Um, I think the situation in Dallas is worth monitoring. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking up Lucas' contract now. Uh, that's been a team that's been mismanaged. Um, you know, um, we'll see. Like they're banking on Kyrie Irving, never a great place to be in. Um, and so after this year, he has he has not signed his next ascension. So after this year, he'll have two years left on his current deal. With a player option in 2026, um, so I think that you know, now there are questions around Luca's game. You know, can he adapt to being less completely heliocentric and be able to play, you know, in a more versatile fashion? We'll see. But he's 24 and an MVP candidate. Um, I think if he, if there was, if the, if things don't go well in Dallas next season, that is the guy that you, you would go for. Um, why I'm not big on Cat. Um, if you're trading for Cat, you're probably getting rid of Mitchell Robinson, um, which means a, a Cat Randall front court is going to really suffer in the playoffs. Um, I don't buy Cat's defense. Um, if you trade Randall for Cat and you pair him at the four next to Mitch, we, we see we have seen what it looks like when you put Cat next to an elite defensive center who plays around the rim. In in Minnesota, hasn't worked out great. Um, that said, like I think Cat and Brunson and pick and roll and pick and pop would be unguardable. But um, in terms of creating a balanced roster, that would be difficult. Um, so you know, I think that my answer is Giannis or Luca. And failing that, you know, there's guys like Pat Will. Patrick Williams said he wants. Um, I think the quote that. was, he wants uh, he wants two in his contract and his number, and he's not talking twenty. And it's like well, he better be talking two. Because I don't know what else Pat Williams thinks he's getting. But that's the kind of move where I think he hasn't been given a fair chance. Um, I think Orlando is just a surplus of all these forwards. Yes. And you poach one of them. Like, can you poach a guy like uh, Wendell Carter, maybe with our bigs isn't fit. But, you know, do you poach a guy like that, right? Do you poach a guy that, you know, maybe like Cole Anthony. If they, Cole Anthony is a guy, I think, um, you know, Orlando has a lot of guards now. Um, He'd be a nice backup. Yeah, if you have to, if you're getting rid of quickly, he'd be nice. Yeah. And he he's also he's capable of playing off ball. I think he's actually pretty underrated as a defender. Um, I don't think I think there's very few guards who have the impact quickly does. 
I think, but I, I think the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I'm going to this season saying, let it ride. We should be able to get back to where we were last year. And if we don't, and if there aren't significant injuries, that's more of a tips thing than a roster construction thing. And I think a lot of this will get resolved next year. But in the meantime, I think those are the kinds of moves, you know, where you can maybe give up a couple seconds or, you know, you, you get a guy like Pat Will, right? Or get a, get another guy who can kind of augment, you know, maybe at the four. One guy I just the, – the Nets dropped Darius Baisley. He's a guy I liked a lot in, in Oklahoma City. He shot 42% from three in the preseason. Athletic, rangy forward. Probably not a guy who's going to be able to come in and be like, I want minutes. But maybe mm-hmm. a piece then in the playoffs, another versatile guy you can throw in at the four if you're not confident. Um, so much in heart, you know, defending like a, a, a Bobby Portis or something. So, um, so the TLDR is like I think Giannis and Luca are. And again, anyone who listens is like, oh really? Yeah, let's just you really, <laughs> you're not, you're not uh, you really shoot for the moon, huh? But well, let but me tell you, there was a day in the there was a day in the '90s the Knicks were hosting Golden State, and these were the Don Nelson Warriors, and the Knicks were much 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 better. Um, but in this particular game, especially in the fourth quarter, everything kind of went wrong. Um, and Sprewell, the Charles Sprewell, who was still a warrior at the time, just who, and he was not, if you remember the 90s Knicks, like you could almost not design a better encapsulation of a player who represented everything that your team was not than the Charles Sprewell, who was this lithe, um, athletic, high flying feline. Like these are the Knicks of Starks and Oakley and Mason and you, like Sprewell was his other thing. And I remember Marv Albert going crazy. Sprewell had his brilliant fourth quarter. Golden State came back. It was crazy. And, like, it was an obvious thought, but I just remember, like, at that moment, locking on to, like, my God, I hope somehow this guy is a Nick one day. Like, <laughs> I, I would just be so grateful in a pure sense if he was a Nick. And I feel that way. I have always felt that way about Luca. Like, I know there's a lot of things in the way. I know there's a lot of forces who will try to make sure it never happens. But can you imagine replacing RJ Barrett with Luke, with Luka Doncic? Can you just imagine? And Dallas has screwed that up a lot. Um, they you know, really I mean, have. Thank you, Mark Cuban. I mean, yeah, like when we traded Porzingis, there were like, oh no, it's gonna be a dynasty. Porzingis to his, you can blame him all you want, right? He he probably didn't. I'm sure there's a lot of blame on him, and he wasn't healthy. He went to Washington, looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. Yep. Um, you know, Luca has had Brunson. He's had now Kyrie. Uh, I think part of and a lot of it is on Luca, right? He they need to figure out ways for him to be successful without having the ball in his hands literally all the time. But uh, and they need to surround him with some better defenders. They need him to buy in on defense. But Dallas has not done a good job. Um, oh. So I think that that's um, and after next year, only two more years before a player option. So uh, and we know he likes New York. So um, mm-hmm. you know I think that's a, and and I think what this all comes down to, and this is kind of what you're getting. The thing is this: the reality is Donovan Mitchell isn't. It's not just Donovan Mitchell. It's most guys in that 10 to 20 range. They're not really going to move the needle, you know, to the way like Paul George was a guy I would have loved here, but but older guy. So most of the guys we could target are either really good, but older. And, you know, you push in all your money, you know, are they going to be healthy? Can you rely on them? Or in that 10 to 20 range, it's like, but, you know, like either they're, you know, if they're an elite defender, they're not going to give you that much on the, the defense, on the offensive end. Or if they're an elite offensive player, they're usually not the kind of guy that you're going to say, well, does he add much that Brunson and Randall aren't giving you? It's that type of player, right? You want somebody transcendental if you're going to make that move. So that's why I do say Luka, Giannis, you know, that kind of player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, 
we can hope as Dick fans, but one thing certainly working against us is that if, if there is an intellect on earth that you can plug into a coach and have him solve these Luca questions, it's clearly Jason Kidd. So hopefully uh, the Mavericks will... I hope will... you're kidding. <laughs> you were once a Nick, Jason. Make it happen. Just keep doing what you're doing, and that man will be a Nick in no time. Um, as we close, since I'm just giving you a facetious, bizarre NBA take, I want to close with giving one hot take for the season um, that you really do believe in. I don't usually feel these things, but I have one hot take about the Knicks this season. I have voiced it a little bit. But I'm going to put it on the air today and make it official. And it's no slam on them as title contenders because I really do believe that one through six, the Celtics are probably the best team in the league. Um, I think with Denver losing Bruce Brown, I would say that the Celtics one through six are probably higher. But I have major, major questions about the Celtics' lack of depth. I know that there's um, hope that Sam Hauser and O'Shea Brissett are both going to be able to exceed people's expectations um, and become like important regular rotation players. When it happens, we can talk about that. But I believe that the Knicks have a fair chance to win the division this year because I believe the Knicks are a team better built the way Thibodeau coaches, the way that they play, the depth of the roster, and the unlikelihood of, I think, a giant mellow deal where they trade you know, a bunch of stuff for one giant person. Uh, I think the Knicks have a have a shot at winning the division because I think they're better cut out over 82 games to win a bunch than a team who right now their third best big man is Luke Cornett, who I do love and always have loved as an NBA player. But I have a lot of questions about the Celtics' depth over 82 games. Their best big man, their best big man, Porzingis, is a lock to miss 15 to 20 at least. Their second best big man is 37 years old. And their third best is Luke Cornett. Now, well, if those people are ready to roll from playoff, a, you know it'll probably be Nemus Kita, I think. But yeah, like still not a not a proven. <laughs> well, not a, when the playoffs yeah. start, if they're all there, you can put your money on them and have a, a great shot. But to win fifty something games over eighty two, I don't know. Yeah, I have to agree. And and Jill I'm going to look up the odds and I'm going to find a betting site. But I really I think this is a year I would put. I would be able to take a little bit of a gamble on. I think the Knicks could win this division because who else is going to win it? Yeah, Philly's a mess. Um, Philly's a mess. Brooklyn, I don't think just has the talent right now, unless Ben Simmons has an amazing year, which I don't see. Raptors are look like just a step away from rebuild. I don't really know what they're doing um, besides I don't know if they you know, do either. stealing the Knicks data. Um, you know, and then. Um, I I think that so my like on that note, I don't know if I would say that. I, by the Knicks winning the division. There are a few things I didn't love about preseason. Uh, and I think they have their own health concerns. I will say I do expect the Cleveland Cavaliers to finish with the top seed. So that's a hot take. Kind oh, of in the same, like for some of the yeah. same reasons. I do think Boston at full health is a better team. Yeah. But Cleveland, Cleveland finished with the best net rating in the NBA last year. Um, mm-hmm. Milwaukee and Boston both have some aging players, some injury concerns. Yes. Um, and I think Cleveland and Cleveland has a talent. Like I think that we were a tough matchup for them. Um, they have that we have, we expose some issues that'll come up in the playoffs, but that's a, that's the thing. If we did have Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, I don't think you would see the Knicks. I think the Knicks would be a great regular season team. I think those issues mm. would really crop up in the playoffs. Uh, my hot take for the Knicks is that I expect Brunson to average twenty eight points a game. Twenty eight points a game. Twenty eight points a game. Yep. Uh, he's basically doing that after the All Star break. Uh, I think he's take more threes. 
Uh, I think the space is going to be better with DiVincenzo. They're, he's in year two, so more comfortable with his teammates. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I think that um, he has that scoring ability. He was doing it after the All-Star break. He was doing it in the playoffs against Eric Spolstra. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You there? You cut it. I lost you there for a second. Now I'm back. Oh, yeah. I was just saying, yeah. So he has the skill set. We saw him do it after the All-Star break. Um, I, mean, I can actually mm-hmm. pull that up. I mean, we know what he did against Eric Spolstra. <laughs> pretty good coach, pretty good defense. Um, but after mm-hmm. the All-Star break last year, um, after the All-Star break last year, um, I guess it's 24 points a game he averaged. Uh, I think if you go back further, it would be more than that. I think there was a stretch where he was averaging close to 30. There was one point where Reddick said, um, you know, he was playing as well as anyone besides Damian Lillard. Uh, and it's yeah. year two. So I, I think 28 points a game is what I'm – and I think he's going to take a lot more threes. That's really what changed where he was just pulling up. And he's shown he can make that at a high level. So. I will leave you with this parting trivia question before the season begins, Stacey. Four Knicks have ever averaged 28 points a game in a season. Can you name these four Knicks? They each did it once. Carmelo Anthony? Carmelo Anthony has done it. Carmelo Anthony. Bernard King? Bernard King, highest average for any Nick ever, 32.9 in 1985. Patrick Ewing? Patrick Ewing, his highest season ever was 28.6. Yes, Patrick Ewing is number four on the list. Richie the last Guerin? one, say it. Richie Guerin? There you go. Richie Guerin, often right. overlooked, but the original like elite score in franchise history. Yes, Richie Guerin in the 1961-62 season, the year that Wilt had the 100 game, Richie averaged 29.5. And, and I also believe in the Wilt game, Richie Guerin had like 40 points. It, nobody remembers it because who cares? But uh, <laughs> yes, Richie Guerin, the four there. So perhaps Jalen Brunson can be Nick number five. If you're wondering who came closest but did not quite make the list, we have three other names. Uh, Julius Randle, who averaged 25 one season. Amari Stoudemire also averaged 25.3. And one year, 26 and a half points a game for the great, often forgotten Nick scorer of the mid-70s, Bob McAdoo. So those are your Knicks who have done it. Hopefully if Brunson is on that list at the end of the year, we will all be sitting fat and happy. That is it for this episode of the Believe Knicks podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, We will be back again surely sometime around opening day, which will be next Wednesday against the Boston Celtics. The Believe Knicks pod is presented to you by BetOnline. It is also mostly presented to you by Ian Stacey. That's it for now, everybody. Thank you for joining us. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube